Welcome to the ArchMI Podcast, featuring our senior customer trainer, Blaine Rita. Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, or ArchMI, is a leading provider of mortgage insurance, or MI, in the United States. Our competitive pricing tool, ArchMI RateStar, is the leading risk-based pricing platform in the industry, providing rates based on a thorough understanding of the underlying risk. Here's your host, Blaine Rada. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. These podcasts are an opportunity for me to share some of my perspective. I've been in the mortgage industry for a little over 30 years, and everything that I want to share with you is really designed to help you differentiate and separate from all of the other choices that are out there. So they tend to have a little bit of a a sales theme or a sales twist, although frankly, anybody in our industry and even other industries can can relate to and get value from some of the ideas that I have to share. But I am very focused on making sure that your time is well spent, and I very much value and appreciate any time that you give us. So with that in mind, in terms of what you can expect, these tend to be very conversational in nature. So you're really just listening to me, having a one-sided conversation with you. Uh, So they're not scripted. Uh, They've certainly been thought out. I certainly have an idea what I'd like to share with you, but I'm really just kind of speaking from the heart, so to speak. Um, Also, I tend to deliver a lot of content in a short amount of time. So if you're multitasking, as many people are when they're listening to podcasts, you may find that you need to re-listen to portions of it, or you need to stop and take some notes if that's something that you can do. Of course, if you're driving, please don't do that. Um, You know, I just can't help myself. I tend to just be a high high content presenter. So there's going to be a lot in each of these, but uh, the intention is always the same, to give you good information, good use of your time, good investment of your time, and again, to help you differentiate and separate from your competitors. Now, you do need to know what my worldview is according to selling, and I, I really share this every time just so that you know a little bit about where my head and my heart is in terms of what I believe about this wacky world of selling. And I can summarize it in one statement, which is that selling is not about getting the sale. And I know that might sound kind of goofy and strange to some of you, but I really don't believe that that is why we sell. Selling is about establishing if you are the best fit if you can be of service to that customer. Now, in the act of doing that, if your focus is on being of service, if your focus is on establishing if you're the best fit, you will have plenty of sales. You will do plenty of business. But I myself have experienced firsthand as a consumer, and I myself as a salesperson have been focused on the act of the sale, thinking about my commission, thinking about how I've got bills to pay, and I really need this person to buy from me. And Not only can they sense that and it doesn't feel good, but it changes the way that you interact with people and it changes your focus. So I'm all about do lots of business, do more business than you could ever imagine. But I'm I'm all about that you got that business because you focused on being of service and establishing that you were the best fit for that person. So we have to be willing to walk away from business that we are not the best fit for. And that's a hard thing to do as a salesperson. But that's my worldview as it relates to sales. All right, so today's podcast is going to be about planning and goal setting. And I know right away some people are going to think, oh, goal setting, that's just such a T 
tedious, difficult process. I mean, some people hate the process of setting goals. Other people love it. You know, they're all into affirmations and put the little index cards up on your bathroom mirror every morning or in your in your car where you can see what your goals are. So I know some of you are really all in on this topic and others of you might be thinking, I just I just hate this. It's tedious, it's time consuming. What what is the what is the point in planning anyway? You know, because you make plans, you know, just think about our industry as an example. Every year all of the, you know, industry giants come out with their this is how much business there's going to be and this how this how this is how much you're going to be able to get and you know, the year ends up being whatever it is, and it's lot, not usually what the people predicted. So it's really easy to just kind of toss planning out the window and say, why the heck even bother? Because we can't predict the future anyway. Well, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, when he was a general, he was responsible for the Allied invasion in World War II. And he's well known for a phrase that goes along the lines of, plans are nothing. Planning is everything. Plans are nothing. Planning is everything. And that kind of satisfies both ends of this spectrum, right? It satisfies the people who say, yeah, why bother planning? Like, just get up, do your thing, take what life gives you. You know, there's no point in having a plan. But the planning part is where the value is. And so that has everything to do with goal setting, right? Because setting goals is all about putting a plan together. So what I'm really suggesting here at the outset is that there's a value in going through the thought process of expressing a goal and figuring out how you might achieve it, but you also need to release the plan, right? You need to release holding onto that plan as if that's the only way it's going to happen because we can't largely predict what's going to happen in the future and we will have to change and modify the plan most likely. And so we can't be too rigid in our approach. So I'm going to share with you five steps. And as I looked at these five steps, as I was putting this information together, I realized, oh, there's an acronym here, uh, and it spells grass, you know, like the, the lawn in front of your house, grass, G-R-A-S-S. -S. And I thought, well, that's kind of an appropriate word, actually, because here's, here's one approach that people take to planning. They're into affirmations, right? Some people are into affirmations. So try this, you know, sometime. If you're, in a, if you're in a climate that has lots of seasons, you could do this in the spring. I suppose if you live in a place where it's nice all year round, you could do this at any time. But go out into your lawn and just stand in the middle of your lawn and look up into the sky and say, there are no weeds, there are no weeds, there are no weeds, right? There are no weeds in my lawn. Just affirm to yourself, as long as you feel comfortable, that there are no weeds. But that's all you do. You just affirm, there are no weeds. And what do you think is going to happen? the weeds are going to come, right? And if you don't do something about it, the weeds are actually going to take over. So affirmations without action is the beginning of delusion, right? Affirmations, just saying that, oh, I want it to be this way, or it will be this way, without actually movement on your part, really accomplishes nothing. So these five steps are about how you actually back up your affirmation. You have a goal. You have something you want to achieve. I'd like to share with you five steps that will create this plan that will back up this affirmation that you have. And again, they'll just conveniently spell GRASS, G-R-A-S-S. So let's start with the G, and that is the goal. Every plan starts with the outcome, right? What is the destination? What is the desired outcome? 
You can see how this can apply to anything, right? This can apply to your work. This can apply to you personally. This could apply to something you're trying to help your children with. I mean, any, any desired outcome is a goal, the destination. What is it that you're actually trying to achieve? That's step one. Now, you've probably heard this before, but it bears repeating. A goal without a deadline is a dream. So for most goals, you also want to attach some deadline, some date, now, once we go through these five steps, by the way, I'm sure you'll be thinking of how they apply to you and how you could use them, but I will just kind of walk you through a quick example using a particular type of goal and how the five steps would relate to that, that goal, just so that I'm kind of you know, showing you how they work. But you can kind of figure this out for yourself, but I thought it might be helpful to also walk you through an example. But I'm going to give you the five steps first, and then we'll, we'll share an example. Okay, so that's step one. The G in grass is goal. And ideally with a date or a deadline so that there's some fixed period that you are shooting for as opposed to, you know, just having an open-ended goal, which really is more of a, a dream than a goal. All right. The R is reality. So if step one is figuring out what's the destination, step two is where are you today? You need to know so that you can determine the distance, right? If you know where you want to go, you have to also take a look at where you are today so that you can see, you know, what is that gap? What is that difference? Now, I'm telling you, this sounds like, wow, this is really like goal setting 101. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. You don't need the, the 201 course, right? The goal setting 101 is actually just fine. That's why I think if we shared this stuff, especially with our kids or younger people, I mean, my gosh, they could... They could grab a hold of the world and do all kinds of things if they just simply knew how to put this together, right? So if step one is all about what's the destination, step two is about the reality. And we need to be realistic, right? We need to make sure that we're not setting a goal that's unachievable. That's why you want to take step two. That's why you want to take a look at the present reality. Because it's very easy to set unrealistic goals. It's very easy to, you know, to set some impossibly high goal for yourself that will be very difficult to achieve. Now, I know some people are thinking, but wait a minute, shouldn't we shoot for the moon? I mean, I've heard if we shoot for the moon, well, we may not get to the moon, but we'll get a whole lot farther than if we not shot for the moon. I can appreciate that point of view. But at the same time, I know what it feels like to set goals that you don't meet. And it never feels good to, to miss the goal, right? It never feels good to not achieve what you set out to achieve. Because then we engage in all kinds of self-destructive behavior, right? You know, we, we beat ourselves up. We don't think we're worthy. You know, we have all this negative self-talk that starts jumping, jumping into our consciousness. So it's a lot easier to set a goal that's realistic that you can achieve. Sure, have it be a stretch if you're one of those people that wants to stretch. But let's not make it impossible, right? So that's really the value in the second step is to take a look at your present reality as it compares to the goal and make sure that this is actually a, a realistic scenario. Okay, then we get to the A, which is accountability. Now, you could say this one is optional because not all goals necessarily involve other people. But here's what I mean by accountability. There are some people who could help you. There are some people who could make this easier for you. Now, I tend to be a very independent person. You know, it's probably because of my childhood. I spent a lot of time on my own. I kind of feel like I, I half raised myself. And that's, that's no criticism of my mom. She did the best she could, but I had a lot of time by myself. So I'm a, I'm a pretty independent person. And I don't ever think about, oh, who could I go to for help? 
Who might know something that could shorten my learning curve? Who might be able to give me, you know, some assistance? It's just, that's not my natural inclination. So I have to remind myself, oh, there's people that could help me here. The flip side of accountability is who needs to hold you accountable? You know, because your goal might require that you do certain things or that you be a certain way, right? And, and those things might be very different from how you are today. And who's going to actually hold you to that? You know, I like to call, I refer to them as drift catchers, drift catchers. A drift catcher is somebody that sees when you're going off course and they love you enough to tell you that, like, hey, um, I thought you said you were going this way. And you love and respect them enough that you'll listen to what they say, right? We all need those drift catchers in our life. Now, again, not every goal might involve others, but at least include it in the formula. Make sure you're at least thinking about, hmm, are there, are there others that I need to involve in this, whether it's sharing the goal with them so they can hold me accountable, whether it's asking for help. It may not just be all about you. That's the A, accountable. Okay, the first S, strategies. Okay, finally, we get somewhere, right? So, so far, this has been you know pretty light, right? I mean, you've got the goal. You compare that to where you are today. The A is accountability. You're kind of making sure that there's other people that may be involved in some way. Now we get to really the heart of planning, the heart of a goal is strategies. Strategies are the steps. Strategies are the things that you will do to get from where you are to where you want to go so that you can achieve whatever goal this is. Now, I've, I have made a ton of mistakes in this part of the goal setting process. And in the research that I've done, I've seen that these mistakes are not just unique to Blaine. You know, they, they happen to everybody. So I really want to share with you the three big mistakes that we make with strategies, because most of us can come up with ideas. Most of us can come up with steps or strategies that we could take or should take to get from here to there. But there are some big mistakes that we consistently make. And I want to warn you about these because they're really easy to make. And I'd like you to not make them if at all possible. So one mistake is that we have too many strategies. We pick too many things. We're just not that good at making a lot of change. This is one of the reasons, by the way, that most lists of New Year's resolutions, especially when they're multiple things, fail miserably because you're not going to change multiple things. It just isn't going to happen. It requires an incredible amount of willpower and discipline. And we actually only have a, a certain supply of those things, right? And when that stuff runs out, you're not able to sustain that any longer. So don't make the mistake of having too many strategies. I don't want to give you a specific number, like you should not, not have more than this. or But just to, to kind of speak of it in general terms, I'd say just having a few, you know, like two to three strategies would be a good start. You can always add more strategies down the road, but just start with maybe two or three things, two or three steps, two or three strategies, and don't even feel like you have to start all of those at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, right? So many times we get all motivated and we're like, okay, when I get up tomorrow morning, I'm going to do this and this and this, and I'm just, I'm going to change my behavior. And hey, just start with one, just start with one strategy, and then once that's kind of developed into more of a habit, more of a routine, then add the second strategy, right? That's a big mistake. Too many strategies. So limit them. Limit your strategies and implement them over time. Don't have all of them start on day one. All right. The second mistake that people make is that they're really not any different than what they're already doing. In other words, they're too similar. So if a salesperson were simply to say, well, I'd like to increase my sales, so I'll just work harder. 
but I'll basically do the same things I'm doing now, but I'm just going to work harder. Well, that actually could work. I mean, you could work harder and get better results, but I'm sure you've heard the expression that one, one definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So strategies generally have to be things that you're not currently doing. So don't make the mistake of just saying, oh, well, I'll do more of what I already do. I mean, that will produce some results, but probably not as much as if you change what you do. And that's why you don't want to have too many, right? So don't have too many and don't have them be too similar to what you're already doing. The third big mistake that I see people make, and I'm, I'm people, so I make these mistakes too, um, is that they're too painful. You know, we're, we're very motivated to avoid pain. In fact, that's probably our greatest motivation. As, as you're out there in the course of your day and your life, you're avoiding pain at all cost. And yet we'll pick strategies that stuff we absolutely hate. Like we can't stand it. We can't stand doing that stuff. Here's an example. A person in sales might say, you know, the business is kind of getting quiet out there. It's kind of slowing down a little bit. So I know what I'll do. I'll start cold calling. You know, I'll just get some lists of names of people that I have no relationship with, and I'll just call them up and see if I can be of some value or service to them, right? I mean, the, the act of cold calling is, is a sales strategy, right? That is something that you could do. But if you would rather have your brain operated on than do cold calling, why would you list that as a strategy, right? That, that is not going to be something you will keep doing. Now, I need to be clear here because... I know some of you are probably already thinking, whoa, 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 are you saying that we shouldn't do what we don't like to do? Like, like, don't you have to push through that? Don't you have to do things you don't like to do? There's some refinements of this that I should probably express. So there's a difference, first of all, between not liking something and not being good at it. So for instance, if you've never, been, if you've never made cold calls before, you're probably not very good at it. But that's very different than, I hate this. I can't stand this. I'd rather do anything than do this, right? So if it's just, oh, this is uncomfortable because I'm not very good at it, well, try to push through that and see if you, 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 know, you develop a little bit of, of competence and expertise and you actually get better at it. When you get better at it, you probably like it. That's very different than, I don't care how good this works, I hate doing it, right? So there's a distinction. Another thing that somebody actually approached me at a live event that I was speaking at, he came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach for kids uh, on, on an athletic team. I don't remember what the sport was. I think it was baseball. And he said, we have them do drills to improve their skills, and they hate doing the drills. But what you're suggesting is that, you know, we shouldn't have these drills as part of our plan because they hate doing it. But yet, you know, they have to do these drills to get better. And so I, that really made me think about what I just told you. And here, here's, here's, here are my thoughts on that. Think about the athletes who have reached the absolute top of their profession. And I know not all of you follow sports, so I'm sorry for those of you that could care less about sports. But just think about an athlete that, you know, you've heard about that's at the very top of their profession, you know, won a bunch of gold medals at the Olympics or something like that. And ask yourself, okay, does that person have some physical gifts that like the rest of us mere mortals don't have? And the answer is probably yes. Yeah, they actually do have some physical gifts right, that the rest of us don't have. I mean, football players, you know, if you're in the NFL, you're large. Right? I mean, you're, you're a big person, right? You're not of average size, right? Um, reminds me of the time that I was uh, 
in Philadelphia and I walked into an elevator. I was actually kind of lost. I was trying to find the meeting room I was supposed to speak in. And I walked into an elevator and like these six guys came in after me that made me feel like I was a kindergartner. I mean, these were the largest men I have ever seen. And I thought, what, what is going on at this hotel? Like, why am I so small? Anyway, I found out that one of the NFL teams was actually in Philadelphia for a preseason game and they happened to be staying at that hotel. But I mean, just standing next to these men, it was very clear to, to me, th- there's no way I could probably be a professional football player because I don't have the natural tendencies or I don't have the size. Okay. So do the people who reach the top of their profession have some physical differences from the rest of us? Yes. But have they also put in the, the tens of thousands of hours of practice that, that honed their skills to such a high level? And again, you'd probably say, yes, they have done that. Would they have put in those hours tens of thousands of hours practicing if they didn't enjoy it? I don't think so, right? I don't think a basketball player would shoot 100,000 free throws, you know, in, in the course of their career practicing if they didn't enjoy shooting the basketball, right? I just don't think that would happen. So I, I, I can appreciate the perspective of sometimes you have to push through things you don't like, but what I'm saying is you can't sustain doing something that you absolutely hate doing. So don't have a strategy be something that you actually hate doing. Make sure the strategies are actually something that you would do. So those are the three big mistakes with strategies, that you have too many of them, right? So pare them down. Um, that they're too similar to what you already do, so make sure they're different, and that they're too painful, that they're things that you wouldn't actually do. Make sure that the strategies are things that you'd actually, maybe you don't know that you would enjoy them, but you're at least willing to give them a try and see, see how they go. Okay, so that's the first S, strategies. That leads to the second S in grass, which is stop. The word stop. Here's what I mean by this. The strategies have just put more on your plate, right? You've just decided that there are things you're going to do to achieve your goal, and that has put more on your plate. Is anybody out there walking around with a plate that's not already full? Maybe, maybe some of you, maybe some of you that are listening, you're you're young, you don't have a lot of responsibilities, you're new in your career, you know, maybe you got room, maybe you got extra capacity. You can you can pile on some more and be just fine. But I think a lot of the people that are listening to this would probably say, I have no room on my plate. I'm pretty tapped out. So by adding more, I'm suggesting you need to take stuff off. You need to be willing to take things off your plate. The things that no longer serve you, We need to get better at saying no. We need to remove things from our calendar that should no longer be on our calendar because frankly, it's wasting our time. Now, this is easier to to say than do. I get it. And you don't have complete control of this, right? I mean, it's not like you could walk up to your manager and say, hey, just listen to this great podcast. By the way, I'm not coming to another Friday meeting for the rest of my career because they waste my time. I get that you probably can't do that. But I think we have more control over this than we think. And see, over time, I used to think that that the formula for success was addition, add, right? Keep adding, 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 piling it on. And what I've realized is that you reach a point where you can't really add any more effectively, right? Because you start adding more and other stuff just starts falling off. So now I don't feel like I have control over anything or I'm doing anything very well because I'm trying to do too many things. So 
I'm just saying if the goal is important enough to you and you've now added some more to your responsibilities and your calendar and your time and your energy, then you need to remove some stuff. And by the way, this is ongoing. Step five, stop, is ongoing. So you may make an initial list of, okay, I'm going to clear this, clear this, clear this. All right, now I got some room. I'm excited. But guess what's going to happen tomorrow? Someone's going to walk up to you and say, have you heard about this thing on Netflix? Have you heard about this show on Netflix? Oh my gosh, I just spent the whole weekend binge watching the show on Netflix. And then you're going to think, oh, well, I, that sounds compelling. I think I'd really like that. You see, you got to stop yourself and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Does that serve my goal? Because otherwise I could be really tempted and distracted to now go spend the weekend spending the whole day in front of the television when really I had told myself that there's these other things I should be doing to meet my goal and watching that thing on Netflix is not meeting my goal. So you have to ask yourself if they're relevant. If all these things that come at you, because stuff's coming at you all the time. This podcast is an example of something that is taking some of your time, right? So you have to ask yourself, is it relevant? Is it useful? Is it a good use of my time? Because if it's not, you need to cut it, right? You need to stop. Okay, so I told you I'd give you a quick example of how these, I mean, I kind of sprinkled in a few comments of how that might work in sales, but let me actually talk about something that's not salesy, uh, not a sales example that most of us could probably relate to. I, I went to find, you know, what are the most common New Year's resolutions? Because I thought that would be a good list. Like the stuff that people really want to do to change themselves would be a New Year's resolution. And I found out, and I'm sure you're not surprised by this, one of the most common New Year's resolutions is to lose weight. And that's kind of in combination with things like eating better or exercising more. But the bottom line is the person wants to lose weight. And the way that most people try to lose weight is with a diet. Right. By the way, if you're and I studied nutrition, I only studied nutrition, not because I ever thought I would go into nutrition, but I studied nutrition in school because I thought if I'm going to take the time to learn stuff at school, I want to learn stuff that I'm interested in. And I've always been kind of fascinated by nutrition. Um, but if you want to know why diets don't work often, you know, just look at the first three letters of the word. There you go. That's why diets don't work. All right. So let me walk you through dieting with with this five step with this five-step formula, right? So let's say G, right? G, we're starting acronym of grass, right? G, the goal. What's the goal? Let's just say that your goal is that you want to lose 30 pounds in three months. So maybe you've got some special event taking place like a wedding or a reunion or something that's going to happen in three months time. And you really want to get yourself into shape and be able to fit into those clothes you used to be able to wear. And so your goal is I'm going to lose 30 pounds in three months. Okay. So that's a goal with a time frame. So great. The first step is well done, right? You've got a specific goal. It's very specific and it's got a time frame attached to it. Terrific. Now we get to R, reality. Well, if you've ever tried to lose weight, you probably are already thinking that's pretty aggressive, Blaine. And even if you didn't know that, if you did just a little bit of research, what you'd find out is that the experts out there say you need to lose weight in a healthy way. And by and large, that's no more than one to two pounds a week. At the very most, between one to two pounds a week would be healthy weight loss, which means in three months time, you're only going to, in a healthy way, lose 12 to 24 pounds, right? 12 to 24 pounds would be a healthy weight loss in a three-month amount of time. So that's your reality, right? That's the reality of the situation. So you've got a choice now. You can either extend the goal, right? So make it more than three months out. So you still want to lose the 30 pounds, but instead of giving yourself only three months, you might say, okay, really, realistically, five or six months might be better. 
Or if the three months is like, no, that's what's really important. I got to lose weight by three months from now. Then maybe the 30 pounds needs to be changed. And you back off from that and say, okay, maybe 20. Maybe 20 pounds in three months is more realistic. Again, you want to set a goal that you can achieve so that you're, you're fist pumping at the end of this as opposed to going, oh, no, I failed once again. You know, failed, failed on my goal once again. Okay, so that's the G and the R. The A, accountability. So remember, there might be people at home. There might be people at work. You might want to, to, to either get help from like, hey, you lost a bunch of weight. You look great. Can you tell me how you did it? Right. So find out from other people how they've done it. Or there might be people that need to hold you accountable. Like you told your spouse you're going to eat a certain way. And then they notice that you're not doing that. And they're the drift catcher. Right. And they go, uh, excuse me, honey, um, you said you weren't going to eat that. And you're eating a whole bunch of it. Again, accountability doesn't always feel good, but we need it. All right, the first S was strategies. So there's all kinds of strategies you could use to lose weight, right? I mean, you could eat better, right? Better food choices. You could eat less. You could exercise more. So even if you're already exercising, of course, if you're not exercising, that would be a good first step. But if you're already exercising, you could exercise more. You could get more sleep because the lack of sleep causes a lot of stress physically in your body, which has all kinds of consequences with metabolism. And so, I mean, there's all kinds of things you could do. But do you see the challenge here? If we go through the, the three common mistakes about strategies, do you see some problems here? So I said that the first problem with strategies is having too many. You can't expect to wake up tomorrow and resolve to yourself that you are going to eat better, eat less, exercise more, and by the way, get enough sleep every single night going forward for the next three months. That's too much. So start with one of those things. And once one of those things becomes more of your habit and routine, then add a second thing, right? The second problem I said that we have with strategies is that they're not different enough. They're too similar to what we're already doing. So for instance, if you're already exercising to just say, well, I'll exercise more, you know, instead of uh, riding my bike 30 minutes a day, I'm going to ride it 60 minutes a day. Well, I mean, that would have a benefit, but you'd probably get a greater benefit by also deciding to just, well, keep the bike at 30 minutes a day, but eat better right? The combination of those two things would be better than just extending the amount of time that you exercise, right? So don't, you know, make sure that you're mixing it up a little bit. And then the third step that I said is, is a problem with strategies is that they're, they're too painful. So I'll just be honest with you, you know, for tr sake of transparency, uh, the, the base of Blaine's food pyramid is like all the stuff you're not supposed to eat. That's the stuff I love. That's the stuff I crave. I just assume fill up on all the stuff you're not supposed to eat. And then if I'm still hungry, I'll eat some of the stuff that's good for you, right? I mean, that. so for, for me to say, starting tomorrow, I will not eat and then make a list of all the stuff that I love and crave, you got to be out of your mind. It's not going to happen. I, I may not even get through one day. I'm certainly not going to get through three months of depriving myself from the stuff that I love because that's too painful. So I've got to find some other strategies as opposed to just being so extreme about it. All right. So I wanted to kind of use, um, oh, and then stop. I'll give you the last S, stop. So there's probably some stuff that you need to stop, right? So an example, um, if you don't exercise, it's probably because you don't have time but you are spending time doing something else. So there are things that you probably need to stop doing so that you have the time to exercise, right? Same thing with sleep. If you're not getting enough sleep, well, you're obviously spending that time doing something. So what do you need to stop doing so that you can get adequate sleep, right? So that your metabolism can work properly and you can be well-rested. So I think, I, I think it's clear, right? I, I wanted to kind of use a dieting example because so many people can relate to that. 
and kind of walk it through that, uh, that grass method, so to speak. Okay, so some key takeaways from today. Remember the, the quote from Dwight Eisenhower that plans are nothing and that planning is everything. The act of planning, the thinking that goes into planning and creating a plan, that's where the value is. Don't get too hung up on the details of the plan because that will probably need to change and there will be circumstances you can't control or anticipate. But that doesn't negate the importance of thinking through how could this plan work? And then we walked through five steps, right? The acronym that spelled GRASS. Step one was your goal. What's your outcome? What's your destination? What is it you're trying to achieve? Step two was now take a look at your present reality. That's the R. Make sure you're being realistic. Make sure you understand the true distance between where you are and where you want to be. And especially when you've assigned a time to your goal, you want to make sure that that time is actually realistic. You know, if a person comes up to me and says, Blaine, I'm so motivated. I want to increase my sales by 25% next month. You know, that's probably not very doable unless you don't sleep, don't eat, and just work 20 hours a day. Um, so let's, let's, you know, maybe modify the goal. I'm not saying that to rain on your parade, but let's, let's maybe modify the goal if it's not realistic so that you can be celebrating instead of, you know, beating yourself up because once again, you didn't follow through on your promise to yourself. And then we talked about the A, accountability. There's people who can not only help you in helping you achieve your goal, but there's also people that need to hold you accountable, the drift catchers, as I called them. And then the first S was all about strategies. So remember, don't have too many. Just start with one or two. You can always add more later. Make sure that they are things that are, are different from what you're already doing, that they're not just more of the same. And make sure you don't say that you'll do things that are too painful that you're not going to do. Make sure that the things that you want to do that are new are things that you'd actually follow through on and do because you kind of enjoy doing it. And then finally, don't forget the stop. That is so important that we say no. It's so important that we set boundaries, that we figure out what we have to take off of our plate now that we've added more to it. All right, some fairly fundamental ideas, but I think if you apply them, you can see some dramatic results. So as I always do at the end, I want you to make sure that uh, you get the most value out of the time that you've spent with me. So my three, my three takeaways, or not takeaways so much for this topic, but just my three takeaways in general for a podcast is to make sure that you take a step, do something with the information that you've gotten. Don't just uh, say, oh, that was interesting and move on and do nothing differently. If this resonated with you, if you found value in what you heard, make sure you actually use the information. Have it be transformative. Next, tell a friend. Share this information with other people. Explain it to other people. By the way, the best way to learn something for yourself is to try to explain it to someone else. But certainly invite people you know, to, to listen to the podcast, share the wealth, so to speak, and talk to us. Make sure that you reach out to us. Connect with your ArchMI account manager. Let them know how we can be of service and value to you. And specifically with this podcast, make sure you share your feedback. This is a, a newer venture for us as of this date. We want to make sure that we're meeting your needs and providing as much value as possible. So with that, I hope you did find value for the time that you've invested. Thank you so much for your time and attention. This is Blaine Rada with ArchMI. Thank you for listening. Arch Capital Group Limited's U.S. mortgage insurance operation, ArchMI, is a leading provider of private insurance covering mortgage credit risk. Headquartered in Greensboro, North Carolina, ArchMI's mission is to protect lenders against credit risk while extending the possibility of responsible homeownership to qualified borrowers. 
ArchMI's flagship mortgage insurer, Arch Mortgage Insurance Company, is licensed to write mortgage insurance in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. For more information, please visit ArchMI.com. ArchMI is a marketing term for Arch Mortgage Insurance Company and United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. All rights reserved.